There's a word from the Lord in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 58, and I'm going to read verse 8. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 8. I'll read it from the New Living Translation. Listen to what God's Word says in that 8th verse of the 58th chapter of the book of Isaiah. Then your salvation will come like the dawn, and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. And the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. I want to preach about God's got your back. Hallelujah. God's got your back. The setting for Isaiah chapter 58, many scholars and theologians believe that this is during the time or at least the, the aftermath of what was taking place with the Babylonian captivity in 586 B.C. God allowed Nebuchadnezzar and the his army to march into Israel and to conquer Israel and to defeat them in battle, in war. And they tore down the walls of Jerusalem that were there for protection and they burned the gates of those walls and they literally tore down the temple of God and they left that temple in ruin and then all of this was taking place because of the sin and the disobedience and the idolatry of Israel. It was the way of God Discipline his people. God disciplines those that he loves. And then many of them, the Israelites, were taken back into bondage in, in, in Babylon, in oppression, suppression, depression. And they were there as a people for 70 years before they were released and able to go back into Israel. And it was during this time of national catastrophe, a national crisis, dealing with the aftermath of war. The families had been separated. Some were in Babylon, some were in Israel. Friends had been separated. Schools had closed, businesses had closed. They're dealing with the aftermath of war. And sickness and disease had set in. And they couldn't go to the temple because the temple had been destroyed. So they couldn't go to church, if you please. And that's when synagogues came into existence. How would they keep in tune and in touch with God and their history and their legacy and their spirituality since they couldn't get to the building, they couldn't get to the temple, the, the house of God? That's when synagogues came into being. They would get 10 adult Hebrew males and their family and friends, children, they would gather together in a house and reflect upon their history and, and remember their legacy and they would hear God's word preached and they would worship and they would sing to help build their spirituality. You didn't hear of the synagogue before the Babylonian captivity. And that's the setting that was taking place in that time. And of course, in the United States of America, we know something about national crisis. We know something about hardships and difficulty and economic downturn. We know something about disease and disorder. And, and in the midst of all of that, some, we've had crises in this country where you couldn't go to church. The buildings had shut down. And so people had to find a way to, to reflect upon their history and their legacy and to build upon their spirituality. Thank God for 21st century technology that even if I can't get to the building, I can still enter 
into his gates with praise and thanksgiving and still worship God. But that's kind of what was going on when Isaiah was ministering um, to the people. And the people began to fast and pray. In Isaiah, they began to, to call on the name of the Lord and they would begin to make sacrifices for God. And in Isaiah 58 verse 3, they said, even though we've made these sacrifices, we're calling on God, we're fasting and praying, God's not hearing us. God's not showing up for us. God's not doing it. And they began to be concerned, does God care about what we've been through and what we're going through now? Because we're fasting and praying and he hasn't done anything. And so Isaiah's is trying to get them to understand the reason why God has not responded to your fasting and praying is because you have fatal flaws in your fasting. And he's teaching those of us in the 21st century, we got to beware of the fatal flaws of fasting. Well, what are they? He gives them four of them in Isaiah 58, verse 3. He says that God's not going to respond to your fasting when you put yourself first when it's all about myself and my breakthrough and my getting my blessing and, and self-gratification and self-centeredness, God's not going to honor that. Another flaw, still in verse 3, is when you're caught up in fraud, when you're lying and cheating and manipulating and mistreating people and promising folk one thing and then doing something else, especially in the workplace. And then in verse 4, he says, that I'm not going to honor any kind of fasting with all this fighting and cussing and cursing and quarreling. He said, you got to step away from that if your fasting is authentic. And then the other flaw of fasting is trying to fast without faith. You got to believe God hears you. You got to expect God to do something. You got to expect the door to open, the way to be made. You got to expect healing. You got to expect, expect deliverance. Y'all, faith is the substance of things hope for and the evidence of things you cannot see so even if you don't see it if your faith is authentic that if your, your fasting is authentic it has confidence in God as a part of that and because of those flaws Isaiah said that's why God hasn't responded in the way you thought he was going to respond and he tells them in verse 6 Isaiah 58 6, he said there's a certain way God wants us to fast there's an expect and this is not an option fasting for Christians it's not an option in Matthew 6 Jesus didn't say if you fast he said when you fast he didn't say if you pray he says when you pray there's an expectation there's a commandment he expects us to fast and he says that when you fast then there is this I, I like to call it the fantastic favor of God on fasting the fantastic favor of God I like to talk about the favor of God with fasting because I don't want you and I to think that when you and I fast that we obligate God to do something for us because we fast because we stop eating cheeseburgers now God's got to do this for me God's not obligated to do anything for us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God the wages of sin is death our sin has separated us from God Yo, God doesn't owe us anything our sins have separated us from him Whenever God blesses us, it's grace. Whenever God blesses us, it's favor. It's the unmerited favor. It's God blessing us even when we don't deserve it, even when we haven't earned it. When God decides that if you fast, I'm going to bless you, that's not us obligating God. That's his favor. That's God obligating God to be a blessing to us. Don't miss that. It's not, we don't obligate God without fasting and praying. 
God says, if you fast and pray, I'm going to obligate myself to, in order to bless you. In the book of Genesis, Abraham, we call it the Abrahamic covenant. God went into a covenant promise with Abraham. In the Old Testament, when two people would go into a covenant, they would sacrifice an animal, cut that animal in half, and they would pass through that animal, and they would then make a, they would swear, they would promise, make a covenant based on somebody, they would swear by somebody greater than them. So you and I enter into covenant, we sacrifice this animal, and because God is greater than me, I make this promise based on God greater than me that I'm going to follow through with the covenant. And then you, whoever you deem greater than you, you do. Well, when, when Abraham and God went to make a covenant, the sacrifice was made, but God couldn't find anybody as great as he was let alone greater than he was. So God went into the covenant with Abraham. He said, I'm going to make this promise based on myself. I'm going to obligate myself to be a blessing to you that through your seed, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And when you and I fast and pray, we don't obligate God to do anything. But God, out of his grace and mercy and favor, says Jeffrey Johnson, since you fasted and prayed in the way I wanted you to, then what I'm going to do, obligate myself to come through with what you're expecting. So what does, what, what, when, fat, when we're fasting the way God wants us to fast, then what does that look like? Verse 6 says, it shows up in community. In verse 6, he starts talking about emancipation and freedom and liberation and people coming out of prison that shouldn't have been in in the first place and, 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 and not binding people. He's talking about emancipation and freedom because real fasting shows up in community. If the only thing you're fasting for is for your deliverance and your blessing and your house and I'm getting my card, I'm getting my... He says, that's not real. When it starts showing up in blessing other people, in freeing other people and helping other people, that's the kind of fasting God likes. In verse 7, he says, he says in verse 7, share your food with the hungry, give shelter to the homeless, give clothes to those that are in need. It's community, it's, it's social, it's blessing other folk in the midst of your fasting. That if somebody doesn't have housing, then help them find some adequate, affordable housing. If somebody doesn't have clothes, then provide clothes for them. Since, since somebody doesn't have bread, you going without bread because you fasting, provide bread for them. That's what real, genuine fasting is all about. It's the same thing that the Apostle James talked about. He says that pure religion, King James Version, pure religion, genuine religion, authentic religion is when you see somebody who has doesn't have adequate clothes and then you provide it when you see somebody without adequate food then and, and going without the daily necessities of life then you provide the food that they need then you give them the necessities and when you don't have your fasting to be expressed in community god says that's not real fasting at all jesus said the same thing I was hungry, you fed me. I was outdoors, you took me in. I was in prison, you came to see me. I was sick, you checked on me. It's when it is social, it's when it is community. That's what is real fasting. And not just showing up in community, but when it shows up in your family. Watch how Isaiah closes verse 7. He says, and don't hide from your relatives who need help. Okay, y'all not saying amen to this. He says, if it's real fasting, if it's authentic, you're not going to hide from your relatives. He says that it doesn't just show up in community. It ought to show up in how you relate to your family. Their argument was, we can't find God. We got a national crisis. God is not responding. God is not showing up. And we can't find God. 
And God says, well, your relatives are looking for you. They're in need. You have what they need. And they can't find you. He says that you're reaping what you sow. So since you hiding from your relatives and can't find them, I'm not going to allow you to find me. But as soon as you allow them to find you and you meet their need, then I'm going to allow you to find me and I'm going to meet your need. My mother convicted me with this. A few years ago, my mother asked me to help one of the family members in my family. She said, she said my mother calls me Jeff. She's the only one in the world that calls me Jeff and has the permission to call me Jeff. So don't be starting to call me Jeff. She said, Jeff, they need it. They're going through, and I know you have it, so I want you to, I want you to help them. And I could never, I've never been able to hide facial expressions because whatever I think, it shows up on my face. I stopped trying. I don't even try. Whatever I'm thinking, it shows up on my face. Those of y'all that know me, y'all know what I'm thinking because there it is in my, and I guess what my mother said, I want you to help your family member in it. And I guess on my face, my face was saying, I ain't helping nobody. If he wants some help, go get a job like me, save his money, save some of that, wait and pay his bills, manage his money. And my mother looked at me in that facial expression. And she said, Jeff, you help people you don't even know. And that convicted me so much. I help people that I've never met. I don't know their background, I don't know where they live, I don't know anything about them. They just needed help, and I've helped them, and I don't even know them. And then in my concentric circle of contact, family and close friends in need, then I'm hiding from them. And I wanted to bring that up, because y'all ain't saying amen. I wanted to bring that up. And hopefully my mother will convict you because you have helped people that you don't even know. And now you got a family member that needs you to come alongside them. And God says, once you let them find you, then I'm going to let you find me. And he says, that's what real fasting is all about. And then get to verse 8, which is really where I wanted my focus to be on the day. I ran out of time at Wednesday Bible study. I didn't get the chance to get to verse 8. And in verse 8, it talks about the fruition from faithful fasting. What, when we are faithful with our fasting, when we fast the way God wants us to fast, we're blessing community and blessing family and making a difference, then what is the fruit that comes out of that? What do we get out of that? Verse 8 says that your deliverance will come with the dawn. Your salvation will come with the dawn. That, that your, your rescue will come with the dawn. Your way out, your breakthrough is going to come with the dawn. I know that you're in a national crisis. I know you're living in the aftermath of a war. I know you're dealing with sickness and disease. I know there's been separation from family and friends. I know there's been an economic downturn. I know that you've had some struggles trying to understand God. But when you are faithful with your fasting and praying, God says not only is deliverance going to come, but deliverance is going to come like the dawn. Y'all got to get this. It was a dark time for them. All of those trials and troubles and tribulations and hurts and pain, it was a dark time for them. And God says, even though it's been dark, I'm bringing your deliverance. It's coming with the dawn. And we know something about that darkness in America. And it didn't just get dark with the coronavirus. We've had some darkness in America from racism and AIDS, ageism and sexism. We've had darkness in America, 
from social injustice, only black people only making up 14% of the population, but we're the major population in prisons and jails. Y'all, we've had some dark times in America. It's been dark. The economic downturn, some of us don't even recognize it's the economic downturn. We've always been down economically. We've had dark times in America. And all of this is going, and now this virus shows up, it's dark times. But God says, your deliverance is coming with the, you're not getting it because you're looking at it through the lens of the 21st century. You cannot try to understand Isaiah 58 through the lenses of, 21st century you got to look at it in 586 BC when it got dark then it got dark they have a light bulb they had no electricity no fluorescent lights they didn't have a flashlight on their smart device they didn't have any any lights on their headlights on their cherries they didn't have any street lights when it got dark it got dark got so dark you couldn't see your hand in front of your face got so dark you didn't know which way to go when it got that dark robbers and thieves and crooks could take advantage of you it was so dark when it got dark in that day everything shut down when it got dark everything closed why do you think jesus said we got to work the works of him that sent us why is they because when night come nobody can work because they didn't have all those lights it when it got dark Everything closed. When it got dark, Disney closed. The NBA closed. Pro professional golf closed. Baseball closed. National Hockey League closed. Businesses closed. When it got dark, restaurants closed. Churches closed. When it got dark. But the good news is, no matter how dark it's gotten, your deliverance is coming with the dawn. How does the dawn bring deliverance? It brings deliverance with the sunrise, I love that. There's going to be a sunrise. The sun is so dark, but the sun is going to enlighten this. The sun is going to bring us some revelation. The sun is going to show us what's really happening and going on. Your deliverance is coming with the sunrise, the dawn. You know what else about the dawn? And that is, yo, the dawn has a designated period of time when it comes. I don't care how dark it is now. There's a designated period of time that God has in place that your deliverance is going to come. You can, you can ask your smart device, what time is sunrise? It gives you a designated period of time. Because when the sun rises, God already has a time set in place that no matter how dark it is, no matter how bad it is, when that time comes, the sun is... Okay, I know why y'all not saying amen. Uh... Because there's really no such thing as a sunrise. And there's no such thing as a sunset. Because the sun doesn't move. Sun doesn't rise and then set. The sun doesn't move. The earth rotates. And it's the movement of the earth that dictates and determines the relationship with the sun. So when the earth moves and rotates away from the sun, that's when it ends up in darkness. When deliverance comes, it's when the earth begins to move back into the presence of the sun and the closer it gets, then the brighter it gets. And I guess now y'all know I'm not talking about the S-U-N. I'm talking about the S-O-N of God. When the world starts coming back to the Son of God, that's when your deliverance is going to come. It's a designated period of time. And I love that because, yo, in, 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 in their days, it was so dark. 
they couldn't tell what time it was. They didn't have watches and smart devices to tell time. They didn't have clocks. They had sundials. And you can't tell the time of a sundial when it's dark. The only way you can tell what time it is is when the sundial is in the light of the sun. And the sun helps reveal what time it really is. I get y'all not saying amen because for me time seems so elusive. I can't get my hands on time. Even Solomon, the wisest man living dead or unborn, he asked the question, Ecclesiastes, what time is it? Time for everything, trying to figure out what time it is. Time has always been elusive for me. Here one person saying, well, I'm ahead of time. Then another person said, well, I'm behind time. Well, it's the same time. One person's their first time. This person is their last time. That I'm behind time. It's, it, time has always been elusive for me. Time sure flies when you're having fun. No, time don't go any faster if it's a good day or a bad day. The issue with time has always been tricky for me and elusive for me. But listen, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He talked about the ways of sin is death. Our sin separates us from the Lord. And then he said, but in King James Bible, in due season, Christ died for our sins. And, and another translation says, in, in due time, Christ died. I got an issue with time. But in due time, Christ died. Okay. In due time. Time has always been a challenge for me. It's not a challenge for God. At just the right time, Jesus made a move. So that even now, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved because he knows how to handle time. When I used to play, I know it don't look like it now, but I used to be a decent basketball player. I could play basketball a little bit. And, and that time clock always bothered me in, in organized basketball. So if, we're, if I'm on the team and we up by 8 or 10 with two minutes to go, it seemed like that clock was just ticking so slow. Time was, I wanted to hurry up because we winning. I'm trying to get the victory. And then... Then when I'm down by 8 or 10 with two minutes to go, it seemed like the clock was moving so fast. No, it's the same time. But my perception has been affected by the situation that I'm in. And here's what Isaiah is saying. Regardless of the situation you're in, regardless of how dark it's gotten, whether time seems to be flying or going slow for you, it, when the dawn comes, a designated time, Jesus at just the right time is going to bring light to this dark situation. Says y'all ain't saying amen, I'll quote Big Mom and them. You can't hurry God. No, you just got to wait. You got to trust and give him time no matter how long it takes. He's a God that you can't hurry. You don't have to worry. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. And so when we fast and pray that we keep our faith in God, even in national catastrophe, your deliverance is coming like the dawn. Still in verse 8, he says, and your, your hurts are going to be healed in a hurry. He said, these, these wounds that you got from the war you were in, the wounds that you, the, that you got because you don't have the food that is necessary, the sickness and disease, you don't have to worry about that because your wounds are going to be healed quickly. Your, your hurts are going to be healed in a hurry. And I just want to encourage somebody in, in this time of fear and hopelessness that our God is Jehovah Rapha. He's the God that heals. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, it says that Jesus is the great physician. 
Big Mama said he's a doctor that never lost a patient. Y'all, God is a healer. God is such a great healer that he can heal you with a hospital or he can heal you without a hospital. He can heal you with a doctor. He can heal you without a doctor. He can heal you with a surgeon. He can heal you without a surgeon. And y'all ain't got to say amen. I can say amen for myself. He's a doctor that, that's never lost a patient. He's a healer. Matter of fact, the, and remember, this is in the context of fasting and praying. And y'all, I know we, as a, as a local body of believers at Easter Star Church, we fast for 40 days once a year. Yo, this is not just a, a seasonal fast. As believers, we're supposed to fast all year. We talk about the Pharisees, but they did fast twice every week and because they understood the importance of fasting, not just 40 days, but designated periods of time throughout the year. And what that fasting does, it now helps to build up your immune system because when we fast, it finally gives our digestive system a chance to rest. You know, our digestive system is exhausted because we eat at midnight, wake up at six, eat again, whatever we ate at midnight because it wasn't fruit and vegetables, it was some kind of red meat, took 14 hours to digest. Your digest you were asleep, but your digestive system was woke all night. And you ate all day, stuff you ain't supposed to eat. Then, and, and your digestive system has not had a nap in 17 years. 17 years, ain't stopped working. And because your digestive system is messed up, now your immune system is affected. And then even when we eat, look at what we eat. The, the animals that they take steroids and put it in, in these animals and, and they take hormones and pump it into them. So a calf is born weighing 20 pound, pound, 20 pounds. 30 days later, it weighs 400 pounds because all the steroids and the hormones. Then we eat it. Tell me, I don't know why I'm getting so big. I know why you're getting so big because you are what you eat. When you eat something filled with steroids, it gets in your body. Now it's messing up your digestive system. It's impacting your immune system. And now your immune system can't fight off the disease and can't fight off the disorder because it's been in the, with the coronavirus. Researchers are trying to figure out why is the coronavirus so aggressive with elderly people? It didn't just make them sick, it'll take their life. But then with babies and young children, the coronavirus does, is, is passive. It doesn't do very much against them. And, and I don't claim to be a doctor, and they're going to, they're going to figure that out. I think that's how they, what they're going to use to help finally come out with the cure, figuring out what... But somebody said, well, Pastor, what do you think? That with elderly people, they, they get sick and from the coronavirus and they end up dying and babies and young children they it doesn't affect them what do you think and i'm not a doctor and i don't play one on tv but here's what i told them because babies haven't had a pork chop yet they haven't had any pork chops they haven't had any bacon they haven't had any sausage they ain't had no liquor they ain't used misused drugs they they have not destroyed their immune system so they can fight off the disorder and the disease so god says when you're fasting and praying your healing is going to come in a hurry because he is Jehovah Rapha. He is the God that heals. Let me give you the last one and I'm finished. You're talking about the, the fruition from faithful fasting. What is the fruit? What's the blessing, the benefits that we get when we fast and pray? And I love this, that the glory of the Lord protects you from behind, that the glory of God has got you. I know you're not going to say amen because I'm jacking up grammar. The glory of God has got you. That don't sound right. Not grammatically it doesn't, but biblically it's correct. 
that God has got you. And I know I got a little Ebonics in me. Uh, when I, the hood I grew up in, you can't say hood no more. You have to say the, neighbor, the neighborhood I grew up in. We, we, we understood what it meant. I got your back. I got, so somebody, one of my friends might be in trouble. They up against something, a crisis that they can't handle on their own. So they come and tell us, here's what's going down. Here's what they're trying to do. And we say, you don't have to worry about nothing because I got your back. I got you. And that's what I'm trying to tell you about the glory of God. Yes, it's bad. Yes, it's a crisis. Yes, it's keep washing your hands. Keep using hand sanitizer. Uh, uh, keep self-quarantining. Stay away from people that are sick. Keep doing all of that. If you're sick, go to that. Do all of that. But just understand, the glory of God has got your back. The and I know it's hard to see the glory. Matter of fact, not just see it. It's hard to define God's glory. When I'm, when I'm preaching, I do word study. That's why I explain to y'all what each of these words meant in the time and when it was written. So I wanted to find out what does glory mean? So I'm checking all these Bible dictionaries and online and, and I couldn't find what I deem to be a decent definition for glory. And the reason why it's so hard to find a definition from, for glory because the Bible doesn't define glory. The Bible gives a description. The Bible shows demonstration of glory, but it doesn't define it. It was just so difficult for me to define. So we're talking about his glory is behind you. Well, what does is, what is his glory look? What is his glory? So I came up with my own definition. You're not going to find it in a dictionary. I came up with my own definition. Here it is. It is, from my perspective, looking at the descriptions and the demonstration of God's glory, it is the, the purity of the majesty of God. That's his glory. It is, it is the ontological essence and practical essence of God. Ontological being, practical doing. It is, it is the essence of the being and the doing of God. That's what his glory is. And you cannot divorce the being of God from the doing of God. Because who God is is what God does. And what God does is out of who he is. So his being and so that the glory of God is the essence and the being of God operating in your situation. That's why Moses said, God, they're going to ask me, what's the name of the God that sent me? What am I supposed to say the name of Tell them I am that I am has sent you. I will be who I will be has sent you. I will do what, what I will do has sent you. Because who God is and what God does is one and the same. It, what he's doing is who he is and who he is is what he does. That's the glory of God. And it's hard to see. It's hard to, to get a glimpse of his glory to know that he's got your back, to know he's got you. That in Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6, here's what it says. In the year King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord. He was sitting on the throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah, you just now come to grips with the fact that the whole earth is full of the glory of God? Why are you just now seeing this in Isaiah 6? Why didn't you recognize the whole earth was full? Because it wasn't until the year King Uzziah died. That's when I saw the Lord. Evidently, Uzziah, who was a great king and had great accomplishments, that, that his nephew Isaiah was so enamored by his uncle, King Uzziah, that he put him on a pedestal. He couldn't see the glory of God because he's so tied into this man. 
And I wonder if in your life and mine, we're so tied into some man or so woman, we can't see God's glory. But when God moved Uzziah out of the way, in the year King Uzziah died, that's when I saw the Lord. And the whole earth is full of his glory. I'm so glad I recognize the whole earth is full of the glory of God. Yo, I see his glory in the sun shining, in the moon glowing. I see his glory in the stars sparkling. I see his glory in the rain falling. I see his glory in the mountains heaped up. I see his glory in the valley scooped out. I see his glory in a dog barking, in a bird singing, in a duck quacking. The whole earth is full of his glory. But why can't we see that glory? In this crisis, in this darkness, maybe it's some man or some woman. Maybe it's what Moses was going through. In Exodus 32, Moses goes up to the Mount, Mount Sinai. He's coming down with the Ten Commandments. And then the people, the Hebrew people down there, they're, they're worshiping and singing and praising, but it's not to Jehovah. It's a, it's a golden image. They'd have melted down gold, created an image. Now they're worshiping that. And when Moses saw that, he got so depressed and frustrated, he threw the commandments of God down and broke all ten commandments. And he was so depressed with inner anxiety and inner darkness, he said, God, I'm not going to be able to make it. I can't get these people to the promised land. Like, I need your glory. And he told God in chapter 33 of Acts, if I don't see your glory, I'm not going to make it. 33 and 18 of Acts, please, Lord, show me your glory. And then watch what, show, show me the essence of your being and doing. Show me the purity of your majesty. And then God's response was, no one can see me face to face and live. Maybe that's why we can't see God's glory. Because God says, if I were to show you what I was working through what you're dealing with right now, you wouldn't be able to take it. If I were to reveal to you the essence of my being and doing in the crisis that you're in, you wouldn't be able to survive. If I were to show you how I'm working things out for your good, even out of your catastrophe, you wouldn't be able to endure that. I, he said, no, I can't show you. I can't do it like that. He said, but come stand on the rock next to me, and I'm going to have my glory pass by. And when the purity of my majesty passes by, I'm going to cover your eyes because if you see it face to face, you're not going to be able to survive that. But once it passes, then I'm going to remove my hand and let you see my back. I won't let you see the glory in the present. I will not let you predict my glory in the future, but I'll make it so that you can look back and see the glory of the Lord is behind you. In the midst of all this crazy, if you want to see God's glory, stop trying to see it in the present. You wouldn't be able to take it. Certainly stop trying to predict his glory in your future. If you really want to see the glory of God, look behind you. Y'all not getting this. It's, okay, I'll do it like this. Uh, uh, Moses, because uh, some theologians say Isaiah was really having a flashback uh, what he learned in Sabbath day school at the synagogue where he was talking, they were talking about Moses going to Egypt, telling the king of Egypt, Pharaoh said, let, God says, let my people go to Pharaoh. Ten plagues come. Pharaoh finally lets them go. 600,000 men plus women and children, more than 2 million people. Been in bondage for 430 years. Now they've been set free. How do they know how to get from Egypt to Canaan, the promised land. They've been in bondage all their life. How do they know how to get there? Because it was a pillar of cloud that led them by day. A pillar of cloud 
That's what our charismatic brothers and sisters, they call it the Shekinah glory of God. Now you got to understand something. Shekinah means glory. So to say Shekinah glory is redundant. To say Shekinah glory is say, it's like saying glory, glory. When somebody says, oh, I need a rhema word. They gave me a rhema word. Y'all, the Greek word for word is rhema. So to say rhema word is really saying word, word. It's redundant. But I ain't tripping off that because I got redundant alarms on my pumping system at my house. So my house won't get flooded. So if one pump goes out, there's an alarm that sounds. And if I don't act on it, there's a redundant. Another alarm begins to, I got redundant alarms at my house. So if I got redundant alarms at my house, maybe we need some redundancy with God's word. We need a rhema word. We need a word, word. And redundancy with God's glory. We need Shekinah glory. We need glory, glory. But the cloud, the Shekinah glory of God would lead them by day. When they get to the Red Sea, Red Sea in front of them, mountains and wilderness on either side, king of Egypt changed his mind, sent horses and chariots and soldiers to go and bring those people back here. And I know none of y'all know about stuff from your past trying to pull you back into what you just got delivered from. And when their past was showing up, trying to pull them back into what they just got delivered from, the Shekinah glory, the, the cloud of God, the glory of God that was in front of them now repositioned itself and came behind them between their opposition and the people of God. Maurice Watson says that God repositioned himself. His glory was a guide, but it repositioned itself to now be a guard because the glory of God is so awesome that the glory of God has got your back. So when stuff from your past is trying to get the best of you, that's when the glory reaper. So if you want to see God's glory, sometimes you got to look behind you. And that glory, that cloud, it was dark on the enemy side, light on the people of God's side. The enemy was close to them, but couldn't figure out how to bring them down. The enemy was close, but it was so dark on their side, they couldn't figure out how to get to them. They couldn't figure out, have you ever been in a situation, folk were trying to pull you down on the job or in the neighborhood or wherever you were, but they couldn't figure out how to do it? That wasn't you that was so smart. That was God repositioning himself to have his glory to stand between you and your enemies. So instead of trying to look at God's glory in the presence, because you're struggling with seeing that now, and instead of trying to predict God's glory in the future, if you really want to see God's glory, God said, I'm going to let my glory pass. I'm going to remove my covering. You can see my back. Isaiah said, if you want to see God's glory, stop trying to get it in the present. Look behind you and see his glory. Look at what God has already done. Look at the doors he's already opened. Look at the sins he's already forgiven. Look at the diseases he's already over. Is there anybody that knows you can see his glory real well behind you? Sitting up here worrying about the coronavirus. You want to see his glory? Look behind you. Remember when we were tripping off HIV and AIDS? Got that under control. You want to see his glory? Look behind you. Remember SARS? Yeah, we got that under control. You want to see his glory? Look behind you. Emphysema was taking over this nation and world. Got that under control because the glory of God is behind you. 
Now, y'all too young to remember uh, uh, smallpox, but that was tearing the world up. Got that under control because the glory of God, H1N1, y'all remember that? Whatever God has done in the past, God can do the same thing in the present. If you want to see his glory, look behind you. I got to close it. I'm going to close it like this. Um, Oh, Peyton Manning used to play for the Indianapolis Colts, took us uh, to the Super Bowl twice, won one of the Super Bowls, and then unfortunately went to Denver. And that's when we finally learned uh, it takes more than luck to get the ultimate victory. You're going to have to have more than luck. Y'all catch that on your way home. Got to have more than luck. Peyton is in Denver. They're trying to make it to the playoffs to get to the Super Bowl. They're playing in a game they have to win, and they're down. It's in the fourth quarter. Time, time is running out. Time is moving real fast for them. And they need a first down, third down, six yards to go. No Sean Marino comes out of the backfield for Denver and runs a down and out to go out for a pass. But as he runs his down and out, he slips and falls, trips, and he lands. And Peyton, right when Peyton was great throwing the ball, he slipped and fell. So Peyton held it back, and Peyton started running. The, the, the announcers thought Peyton was getting ready to try to run for the, I don't know, no, he ain't trying to run for no first down because he can't run. I thought he was trying to run out of bounds and then try it again. No, he didn't run out of bounds. When Peyton started running, what he was doing was repositioning himself to still get the ball to Noshan Marino who had fallen and was still down. And he did get it to him. And Noshan called it, got the first down, scored the touchdown, won the game. Here's why they were able to get that victory. Because when Noshan ran a down and out, slipped and fell in his route, Peyton didn't give up on him. Peyton repositioned himself to still get the ball to him even though he had fallen. If Peyton has enough mercy and grace and wisdom to get the ball to a player that has fallen, how much more shall our Heavenly Father, though we have slipped, Though we've fallen, God knows how to reposition his glory to still get a blessing. Do I have a witness in here? God has got your back. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, stand with me. Stand with me. 